Hello and welcome to Flavour Talks, the BSF's podcast exploring the wonderful world of flavours. Listen in to learn more about the people who make the food you eat taste great. We're joined this evening by Khan Demi Rurek um, and Europe, a previous speaker on our podcast and uh, an av- avid footballer. Um, so initially, welcome, but also um, I'd like to maybe give you the opportunity to introduce yourself um, because you're going to definitely do it more justice than, than I would. Absolutely, Trevor. Thank you so much for this opportunity. I'm, I'm very, very happy to be here uh, as much as I'm, I'm honored to be here. Uh, it's a wonderful group and, and you and I know each other for a while now and, and uh, enjoyed always our conversations, our information exchange, book recommendations uh, and all that. So very, very happy to be here. Thank you so much for the kind invite again. Um, my name is Khan Demirurek. I, I'm, 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 I'm 44. Uh, married. I have a 11 year old son, uh, which I'm passing the button on playing football and also video games. Um, I don't have much time for that anymore. And he's pretty good. Um, and we live in Dallas, Texas, where I work for my role in PepsiCo. I work as sustainable packaging R&D director uh, for the last little over two years now. Prior to that, um, I've always worked in PepsiCo, R&D function, uh, mostly on product and process development. I am food engineer by background. Uh, I studied in Turkey. I'm from Turkey. I was born and raised in Istanbul. Um, I had my internships at PepsiCo. So once I got my degree in food engineering, there was an opening as an R&D engineer uh, in the team in Turkey, started there. And I've been around since then. A little bit monolithic career, but also I was able to experience the uh, how R&D can add value uh, to the the business, to consumers, to to our environment uh, at different levels and at different geographies. Uh, I've always worked in foods side of PepsiCo, uh, not experienced at all in beverages. That's my career. Uh, like you said, I like playing football. Uh, as they call it, soccer here. It took me a while to adjust <laughs> it. But... <laughs> yeah, it's it's football. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and I still play here uh, in over 40 amateur leagues. Uh, 11v11, big field. Our season is starting next week, actually. Very excited about it. Uh, getting, getting, getting prepared for the next season. Were you were you disappointed when you had when you had to be um, I guess upgraded to the over forty leagues? Well, I was resisting and I was still playing in over thirty. You know, denying that I'm I'm, I'm aging. <laughs> um, and then I, after a point, Trevor, I said I'm done with chasing after these uh, you know early thirty year old kids, <laughs> and so I'm gonna go over to the over forty, and I'm gonna I'm gonna do better there. And then MVP, MVP in the first season, I guess. <laughs> I did pretty good, yeah. Yeah, I did. I saw the season. post. <laughs> now, okay, that's so good. And thank you for the introduction. Do you know what 
I, I kind of partially wanted this to be a bit like a book club because we both know that this could easily descend into, oh my God, I read this thing. That was cool. What did you read that was similar? Oh, you should read this. Oh, and then we start talking about that. And I think we we will get into that because I think that's valuable for other people. And we'll start to talk about maybe what the difference between knowledge and wisdom is. And I have a few jokes about the difference between knowledge and wisdom, which we can get to. One other thing that I thought about, and I've been excited about this conversation for kind of probably a number of months since since you actually gave us the, your, your presentation um, and your lecture. I've been thinking about what I'd like to ask you and what I'd like to say. We're definitely not going to be able to cover all of it, but it's going to be like, a, I guess, a uh, a loose conversation, as always, but something that maybe we can bring in a framework um, in in retrospect. In retrospect, people can listen in and think, oh, I heard something about that. What was that about? That's a cool thing for me to kind of explore more. But to start out with, um, you, I know you, you've given me some of this insight before, but it would be good for everyone listening. How did you decide to start working in science and then how did that uh, kind of develop into working in food and for a food company? You know, how, how do people start out? Food part, I'll, I'll come to that. It was honestly not a very deliberate uh, choice on my end, uh, uh, given the education system in Turkey and, and, and how you get through uh, middle school, high school, and then to the college degree. Um, but I knew I really, I always wanted to be an engineer. And I think it's just something you start figuring out when you're, when you're a kid. You know, I know it's going to sound a little bit cliche, but playing with Legos and um, dismantling all those electronic equipments and trying to understand what is in them and, and getting some uh, tough conversations with your parents for all the uh, electronics that you break <laughs> to understand what is, what, what is inside. I think bringing things together and, and putting something out there uh, was always has always been very intriguing. So that side was more clear. Uh, and I want to say in my teens, that engineering side of was, was clear, but not that scientific science and scientific method. I'm going to be honest, I, I, I started having a true grasp of that not even in my 20s, I would say mid-30s, that I, I, I started feeling like I, I was really now internalizing the scientific method and, and approach there. And we can talk about it a little bit more. Uh, and it's different. Engineering, I mean, they're very, very related and huge overlap there. But engineering and scientific approaches uh, is a little different. Uh, it can be implemented in, in much broader uh, uh, sense. Food, um, I was told uh, by some elder cousins uh, that I, I, I respected that, that there was a future in that industry for a more science-based, engineering-based approach, and the field was picking up. When I was making these choices uh, after high school, honestly, I didn't know much about the field, food engineering, what they would do. Um, I even included in my humble book myself in the introduction that when I was studying it, I mean, let alone studying it after I graduated, I didn't have very good understanding of what food engineers would do and how much value they could add to the 
I'm not exaggerating existential problems of humanity. Uh, one of those problems today, and, and food system has 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 huge footprint there, uh, and and that's not a bleak picture, but it's huge opportunity. So in that sense, I would say not earlier than my mid thirties, I came to all those realizations. Yeah, and and that's actually like that touches on like a lot of different things that I wanted to discuss with you. And I think some people find it, find out that they fall into a career in food, but really we need engineers. We need scientists. We need um, people that are computer engineers and actually thinking about engineering as a background. It's like, what is an engineer? What uh, I actually weirdly, I used to uh, live with a few architects or they were training to be architects and their lecturers used to tell them everything is architecture. You know, everything is the creation and realization of artifacts in our natural world and building something that lasts and uh, how other people experience that, those things and the spaces that you create through architecture. But architecture is engineering. Uh, a new product development within a, a food setting is is both architecture as well as engineering. And I guess it's difficult to define each of these things because we're trying to put everything into uh, sometimes an oversimplified bucket, you know, so it kind of trivializes what you're trying to achieve. But it's really good when you can kind of connect the dots and find um, tangential areas of expertise that would benefit um, being a bit more um, together rather than these these separate separate elements. So engineering, People are thinking, okay, I'm going to go build bridges. Well, actually, you could also be building building a chocolate muffin. Indeed, and 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 I was I I saw it I saw a visual recently, and I really liked it. Uh, it was speaking to a, a, an underlying engineering thinking or principle, and it said something like, "As engineers, we make things, and we make things work better." It can ah, be yeah. simplified. Uh, as 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 much as that, and like you said, you can you can make a bridge, or, or a muffin. I think, and I have very strong engineering mindset that is that is ingrained in me so much so that sometimes I'm trying to uh, get myself lose a little bit from it because uh, uh, to be to be able to think in different terms. I think the magic is, Trevor, when you complement it with why you make things yeah um that's where i i in my mid 30s late 30s that's the question i asked and that that gave me that realization that yes i i understood engineering principles i understood scientific approach but i was lacking a big piece which was why am i doing this mm -hmm. other mm -hmm. than satisfying some uh personal accomplishment or uh, the fact that I was liking it personally, but for a greater cause in the grand scheme of things, why am I doing it? I think that's where I realized that I was missing the philosophy of it, the psychological, emotional connection with food. And it just struck me that it's much easier connection you can make with food then you can make it with bridges. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Civil engineers, please don't 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 get me wrong. <laughs> but for architects, food is so much in our lives. 
air, water, and probably the third, uh, even before shelter. But it's so we take it so much granted, uh, especially when we have it in our arms reach and when we don't experience the ab absence of it. When you combine or when you bring that complementing, why am I doing this piece of what am I doing? It, it opens up a very different paradigm. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And, and actually, I feel like, as you say, you kind of get to questioning yourself as to what is my why? How can I define my, your personal why? I think the earlier that happens for people, the more they can understand the impact of their decision making. So it's it's not necessarily just about uh, more, having more, creating more, uh, beating someone else or success in a in a fiscal sense. Sometimes it's about being able to verify, validate and demonstrate how a maybe what someone asked for is different from what they got, but it's related and better than what they'd asked for. So let me explain that a bit better because I, I didn't do it justice. Now, my granddad once told me two people walked into a, no, one guy walked into, into a hardware store, and this is one of his anecdote. And he said he asked for um, a 12 millimeter drill bit. And the the person behind the counter said, ah, so you're asking for a 12 millimeter drill bit, but I know that you need a 12 millimeter hole. And obviously the person that was asking for the drill bit said, of course I need a, a 12 millimeter hole. And the the person behind the counter said, well, actually, I've got a better solution than this 12 millimeter drill bit. You should have a look at this. So thinking about what someone's trying to do and giving them an alternate solution to what they think might be a solution is sometimes actually a, a, a better means to go about it. You can give them the 12 millimeter drill bit, but equally giving them an alternate way of creating that 12 millimeter hole is connecting the dots to find out what people are actually asking for rather than the words that they're saying for what they're asking for. And sometimes establishing what your why is gives you sometimes the courage to be able to offer solutions, especially in a food setting, that meet the requirements of a customer or a brief or a project, but doing it in a way that's better, you know, uh, better for the planet, um, that's still cost effective, that's still successful, but is maybe something different to what was asked for. I... It definitely strikes a chord. I love I love that analogy, and, and I'm gonna I'm gonna use it uh, with your permission because of course, well, my granddad's permission. <laughs> <laughs> I experienced a lot in my career working in R and D. You know, R and D research and development in foods is ultimately it's a technical function um, where we really encourage our our engineers and scientists to have. Double heading basically. One is your science and engineer hat, but the bigger one is understanding the bigger picture, the consumer, your your business dynamics, your landscape, so that you can maximize your value add, which is sometimes we miss and we don't do a good job there as engineers and scientists. And given that, sometimes our partners in consumer insight or marketing, brand managers, they can come and tell us. Dear R&D, I need this product. They would come to you with a brief on what. Mm -hmm. They wouldn't tell you why. 
I'm going to speculate it. I don't know for sure, but probably they think we are just a bunch of nerds. We cannot understand all those details and the consumer and, and, and the underlying needs. That's where one of the feedback, positive feedback I always got from, from those partners has been, I would always ask why in a constructive way. Tell me why you need that drill. Is it because yeah, you yeah. need a 12 millimeter hole? Oh, yes. Okay, then... I understand the what, but you know what? I know my 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 colleagues in Thailand did this. You might mm -hmm. not know about it. How about we think about that? Um, so understanding why is 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 really really important. It's 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 where where your value add leapfrogs. Mm -hmm. uh, I promise, and I I love that analogy. So I think that that you know it's actually related to something that we spoke about. And uh, not you and me, but like we spoke about on this podcast uh, uh, a while ago um, about the fact that context is all, you know, and sometimes you're missing crucial pieces of context in order to to make uh, the, the the open loop a circle. So close the feedback loop. And sometimes you need to establish what the context is to to really understand the why. Um, I want to talk a, a little bit more about your personal why in terms of sustainability and adding something in obviously that's part of your i guess title at the moment and your um in a way it's your raison d'etre you know your reason for being in terms of like um in your job your job role is to deliver not necessarily uh just fiscally prudent solutions but equally sustainable solutions so it's now a multivariate problem which is good because you're focusing on multiple perspectives but in terms of establishing that why it i guess where did it come from from for you like why why is that uh, an important thing for you to be focusing on and where did it come from yeah that's a wonderful question uh, and we like those stories and i'm really telling this genuinely and this is my story that i really like it was an aha moment uh, maybe kind of an epiphany i was after you read after a certain point that you, you you read a lot you just want to share something i i think i was at that point but i just wasn't able to figure out how to in what structure i know something is coming but i i was not able to put it in in context um share from my experience what i learned with with the next generation of food engineers and scientists and then one day i I read an article by Ram Krishnan, who, who wrote the wonderful foreword for my book. Um, he published that article in the Earth Day, I think it was 21, uh, maybe. Um, and there he mentioned some statistics, which blew my mind. And despite being having worked 20 years in that industry, I realized that I didn't know any of those numbers which were putting the impact of global food systems footprint on our climate change or climate problem, uh, the issue we have. Uh, one figure, and there's a lot of speculation around that number, I never forget, um, almost one third, you know, in that article, it was 26% of the total carbon emissions are the results of global food system compared to you combine all the cars we drive, the planes we fly, it's 16%. I, 
I couldn't believe it. I, I probably it was a typo, and I, I I verified the numbers, and then I said, okay, I've I've been in this industry for this long. I didn't know this entire global food system had this much of an impact, and I was trying to elevate the the the, the confidence uh, that the food engineers and scientists have in terms of what they can achieve even beyond we can we could dream because when i was studying this it's always regarded as a uh, a, a b brand engineering like a, a second division not premier league but uh, it was always <laughs> computer engineering electric electronics and 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 then the second tier maybe civil chemical petroleum food engineering um and that that keeps haunting you when 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 you have that notion, you don't think that you can make a significant positive impact on on the planet, on people's lives. But just like you said earlier in the in the conversation, the decisions I was making in my role at PepsiCo with that massive reach we have as 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 one of the biggest food companies on the planet, I said, I need to, I need, I'll think in different terms, way forward. That's why I, I, I wanted to make that transition to, to, to that sustainable packaging role where I wanted to personally do more uh, for a greater cause. I think that was my personal, part of my personal why. But the bigger one was, I can do, I said, I can do only this much, but I will make this a personal mission to inspire the next generation of food engineers and scientists. If I can inspire only one, I'm going to consider myself successful because no one can know what that one inspired individual can achieve. I don't know if we would make a dent in the universe, like Steve Jobs said, but I know we can do a lot. Uh, the opportunity is out there. So since then, I've been trying to do my best and inspire uh, people around me, the younger food engineers and scientists, the industry veterans to bring this different perspective and to, th to think in different terms, be it in your day-to-day -day roles or what, what else, what additional um, impact you can make uh, out, even outside of your work environment as well. Just a quick question. In your daily work in this activity, what is a part of the regular day-to-day -day job and innovation? Uh, because for me, innovation is nothing more than a recombination of all elements that you rework to find out a new solution. So basically, uh, the, the way you, you, you are working with, the way you approach problem, the way you approach innovation, can you tell us a little bit more about in this domain of sustainability? In sustainability itself is a is 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 a pretty emerging uh, space itself uh, in terms of awareness, uh, policies, uh, the guidelines, the definitions. Even the term sustainability itself is a very loaded term, uh, and I'm sure I would have a different definition than you would have, uh, even among the three of us. So. It's such an emerging 
space, which is crucial. Uh, and I think that's where innovation comes into place because, again, innovation is another uh, loaded term, but to me, innovation and R&D, it's all about future. You, you imagine a future state, um, a lot of uncertainties there. You don't know how things are going to evolve. I'm not even yet talking about the technologies you're working on, but what does that future look like um, in, terms of, in terms of planet, humanity, I mean, smaller, uh, bigger, smaller chunks, consumer, um, how we eat, how we go about our lives. Uh, it's changing so fast, fastest ever. And it's, it's so naive to think that innovation doesn't have a place there because, it, because it's, it's, there's no way you can keep up uh, with that pace. So in, in, in a sense, it's all about imagining a future state um, where you push the boundaries and then you backtrack a little bit. Okay, if that's the future I'm imagining, how am I gonna get there? Um, what is it, what is it gonna enable me to get there? What, what do I have to have in my toolbox? Be it technology, be it scientific knowledge, be it research needed, uh, skill sets. So I think once you imagine, pull together a roadmap basically, and then you start that journey. You update it a lot, uh, you know, uh, when, you, when, you, when you manage projects or when you go uh, in your journey in that roadmap, it's never as you planned uh, because it's changing so fast. So I think if you couple that thinking with a little bit adaptability, which we are very good at as human beings. Um, that's how we survive, basically. Uh, uh, then we are good. That's the thinking I'm trying to um, implement in, in, in my personal life at work. Um, and I think sustainability space is, is, is a really good one because it's emerging. There is a lot of unknowns, a lot of ambiguity. It gives you the opportunity to craft the future you want to be in. Can you craft it fully the way you planned it? Probably not. But because the rules are being set, the frame is not that defined. And if you're comfortable with that ambiguity, it's a wonderful opportunity. That's the way I look at it. It's a kind of emerging word, I would say, Ian. It is so emerging. There's so many options to move ahead uh, properly for the humanity. Just before you came, uh, uh, my colleague Trevor pissed me off a little bit. He asked me about some question. I just say, if at the end of my career, that will be short, I can just deliver one drop in the ocean that will be huge, especially in sustainability. So it, it's so hard to go ahead. But as you said, if you inspire one person and also you, you, you deliver to them some toys, some tools, some way of thinking that will be uh, making their life easier, and the way of working, yeah, I think it's fabulous because you are not only managing product, but also you are trying to build the future uh, and build the brain of young generation, which is for me key. In a way, it's a it's a kind of succession planning. You know how you said you passed the baton on to your son. You've you've also passed a lot of ideas on to your son, and in a way that's kind of similar to some elements in in your book and also things that people say. You are what you eat. You are what you read. 
You are all of your experiences in the past and you are a product of everything you've experienced and read and eaten and etc. So I, I feel like all of these things are just highlights to people that they they have a role to play, but equally that they have an opportunity. And it, it kind of brings me back to all of the things that both Michelle and yourself were talking about right now is that opportunity breeds potential. People have potential, you think, but actually within different structures within society, not everyone has the same potential. They need to have the opportunity to explore and, uh, I guess, achieve their potential. And part, I guess, of what your why is, to me, is um, enlightening people to understand that they have a role to play and that they can make an impact by thinking a bit more about what their why is. So true, and I want to connect it with what Misha said because this is not only about a product development, not even maybe a, a program development. You, 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 you need to develop, I mean, we all need to develop entire capabilities, yeah. uh, maybe new approach that will put out there multiple products, multiple solutions, and they need to evolve and adjust as, as these changes happen. In that sense, it's technically impossible to know the answers or to know the solutions. And one thing I was super clear to myself and in the book was, I don't claim to know any solutions in this space, but I know who I should look to. And that's food engineers and scientists who should take the lead, of course, to collaborate with other engineering and science disciplines we cannot do this alone but this is food we should be the ones who know the science of food to the best leverage the capabilities from other fields but we need to lead the charge and 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 that potential you talked about there's there is a lot of untapped potential uh when i talk to wonderful people across the globe uh students, new graduates, the passion they have is, is huge. They just, it, they just need to be shown where the opportunity is. And that's what I all tried. Hey, look here. This is where the opportunity is. I don't know how to solve it, but I, don't, I know one of you or a few of you or a group of you will solve it. That's all I'm trying to do. And I do it very enthusiastically. I don't know why. It's just something coming internally and i'll keep doing it mm -hmm. and do you think that's that's partially come from i guess i guess it's it's maybe new in terms of the the entire scope of your life but that that one day that you had the kind of epiphany and you decided you know what today i'm going to read today i'm going to decide to read read more and uh kind of expand my mind a bit and start seeing from different perspectives because that that's the reason that this podcast right now, this interview or this kind of discussion has the, it has the risk of becoming a book club uh, meeting. <laughs> but for me, that that's how it happened, you know, deciding like, actually, I don't know everything, you know, I, I don't know everything, but I, I want to learn, I want to learn more about the things I don't know, and kind of understand those things that can never be known a bit more. So every door that you open actually leads to a corridor of doors that you definitely don't know but you didn't know they existed before and now they do. So thinking about it in this way, I think 
it's about opening the door, but you're also welcoming uh, new graduates and new people that you you kind of uh, engage with. You're welcoming to welcoming welcoming them to that first door to be able to open it for themselves to then discover something new. And with within the realms of sustainability, you're right. Like all of us are talking about the same stuff. It's like it seeks to be defined. We need to know the context, but because there's no existing, I guess, framework, that kind of flexibility and that malleability gives us the opportunity to set the jungle gym how we want it to be. And there, you need a lot. Uh, like in Simon Snake's terms, you, you, need, you need a purpose. Like you need mm -hmm. why you should do it. When you have that why, that purpose for yourself, and I'm, I'm, I'm really not talking about a pure... Uh, existentialist uh, mid 20th century existentialist perspective, but everyone needs a purpose. It's it's uh, either we even we know it or not. Mm -hmm. In this life, I came to learn that we just want to make sense of ourselves and the universe around us. Other than biologically sustaining our lives. Everything we do boils down to this. What astrophysicists do, try to make sense of how the universe works. Uh, you know, they try to come up with that grand equation that explains everything, quantum and, and, and the re relativity uh, together. Uh, or what do I do here? Like, what am I doing in this life? Why, why did I... Why did I come to this life? It's all about making sense of ourselves and the universe. And you said something really nice. It's I even did some calculations. I'm not going to bother you or, or the listeners, but there is only so much we can learn throughout our lives. Even if you are the best genius out there, and if you spend like 13 hours a day to solve the reading, there is only so much you can learn. And it's like Michelle said, it's, it's drop in the ocean. There is no way we can know the whole thing. Um, but as you learn more, the things that you didn't know existed and now you know exist there in your words, it helps you make better sense of ourselves and, 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 and around us, the, the universe. I think that's where it's easier to come up with a purpose for yourself and define your why. And mm -hmm. once you are more clear about that why, what you do transforms. Uh, even if you are doing the same thing, why you are doing it brings a brings bring, bring, brings a magical touch there that 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 your value just amplifies. And when I go through uh, your book, you know, Cam, I thought about a, a citation, a quote from a, a German writer. He said, "Whatever you can do or begin." begin it boldness as a power of magic and i think that uh, when when i read your sentence it shows that you are really a willingness to progress to improve yourself you are you are never satisfied of what you have done yesterday you want to improve yourself every day so i find that that you are a young boy all day long when i read this book and that's that's my passion in this book you give me a Give me a thought. Future is tomorrow morning. You know, let's go ahead with Cam. Yes, brilliant ideas. I don't know if you if you feel also that you transfer this energy 
but uh, it's full of energy. And uh, this kind of boldness is one of the characterization of, of your book for me. That, that, that means the world to me because in the foreword, I made it very clear that I intend to write this book as a manifesto rather than a manual because I don't know the answers. I'm not here to write a manual, but I'm so passionate about it. I aspire to convey some of this passion so that it might spark some idea that's the contribution I can make. So hearing this from you means a lot to me because I've been impacted by the curse of perfectionism in my life a lot, especially as an engineer. And that was another difficult transition I was trying to make and I'm still making and trying to be more careful with my son that especially sometimes progress is much more important than being perfect. Mm -hmm. And also how, how do you define perfection? That's sometimes limited by what you already know to be perfect. And what we what we understand now is that the system itself is not perfect. We've identified issues with the system. How how do we relook at the system with maybe imperfect eyes from a new set of eyes to determine actually which is the prioritized way to go? And it's not necessarily low-hanging fruit when we talk about value proposition and where you're going. It's actually, like you said before building capabilities and sharing capabilities for um, a multidisciplinary approach to solving big, complex problems. When you say it, first thing comes to my mind is the Pareto rule. Once you cover 80% of the problem with the 20% of your efforts you put there, and after that point, when you're trying to fix that remaining 20% with the 80% of your available time, once you perfected it and made it 100%, probably that problem has become obsolete and irrelevant mm -hmm. anyway. There's another problem mm -hmm. there. Yeah. <laughs> so the fastest changing environment in its definition, we should, we, should, we should do away with that being perfect. Uh, yeah. I think the easiest one is this, this 80 to 20 rule uh, to start. And and it's easier said than done. I I I I recognize that. I'm still working on it. It's it's just so much ingrained in 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 ourselves, but it just holds us a lot. And that's mm -hmm. something actually I learned in in North America. Um, I'm I'm Turkish. I worked in East Europe majority of my career. I know the European culture very well. In Europe, we are a little bit more perfectionist. In North America, they don't they don't care about perfect. <laughs> progress is much more important, and and that trial and error, let's give it a try, let's learn, is 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 really in the culture itself. Um, that's the first thing I observed here, and that's the first thing I said I'm gonna learn and I'm gonna bring this to my life because this is what I lack, and if I if I stayed perfectionist. This book never would be here. I would probably still have been pulling together the outline because I wouldn't be happy. That's, that's you know, this is actually, there's a number of different questions that I think relate to some of the other things we've discussed so far, but this is a good segue um, to give you the opportunity to just mention the book. Like, what is it called? Where did, what, what, give us a, like a brief synopsis of the book because a number of listeners would never have heard about it. So I think it's a, it's a good idea. 
I want you to also um, give your brief synopsis, but with the eye on the fact that I'm about to ask you a question once you're finished on altruism. <laughs> okay. That's a okay. challenge. Go for it. <laughs> okay. Now I can't help thinking of the question to come. <laughs> the book, the book's title is Food for Thought. And the subtitle is Food Science and Engineering for the Future of Humanity. And 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 I and I, and it's a daring title. I I I uh I recognize that. Uh but I wanted to take on the challenge because I truly believe the future of humanity is at risk. Uh not the life, not the planet. We are not that significant. Life will continue. I think at risk is 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 we are at risk humanity and we can take a couple of other species along with us if we extinct but life will go on it 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 always has uh, during permian extinct uh 95% of life wiped out of this planet but life flourished um i was trying to draw some attention to this existential problem which is climate problem and the food systems impact on that problem and for that opportunity it it aspires to encourage and inspire food engineers and scientists to do something about it to feel good to make a career and to personally grow um, i think that opportunity can serve all these three the reason i wrote this book is because I thought if someone had written something like this during the earlier stages of my life, when I was studying this field, when I was a new graduate, I would like reading it. I looked and no one wrote something like this. So I said, I'm going to take a stab at it. I know it's not going to be perfect, but I know people can build on it uh, mm -hmm. and wanted to... Um, light a candle, maybe, uh, uh, spark uh, uh, some inspiration there. It has three parts. One is, the first part is about food science and engineering, not a technical discourse there. It's all about how food plays an important role in our lives and where food science and engineering fall into it. The second piece is because I there to paint a future picture, I also articulated a little bit how I believe we can get there. And one of the things is science and technology in line with that research and development where I build my career. I get a lot of questions how to be successful in research and development. It's an uh, aspiring field, inspirational field. So I tried to share from some of my experience and knowledge I build in that field on how research and development can help us get there. And the third part is a little bit more general, again, sharing from uh, my perspective, how we can be successful in our careers so we can maximize our positive impact in this space. Hmm. Those three parts. Altruism. Um, oh, no, 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 wait. I haven't asked the question yet. Okay. <laughs> okay. But, that, but that's the main title. Though. Okay, so 
I, I told you that there's going to be a question now about altru altruism. And the, the book is, a, it, to me, it's a, a an example of something that perhaps you've done altruistically because what you were trying to achieve is actually uh, write something that can be used or picked up by someone else in order to create that spark. So uh, become like a kick in the pants, you know, uh, give me some um, inclination to to use my skills for good or for to doing something different. So what counts as pure, according to you, you know, what counts as, as something done purely for social or environmental good, not requiring any um, accolades? What, what counts as something altruistic in, in this framework of sustainability? And, and being altruistic and altruism is, again, a, a, a phenomenon that, that has been explored massively in the philosophical realm. And I'm not going to go in there because it's risky. If we get there, we cannot get out of that. Uh, to put it in context, a little bit of the same reason why I did forego all my rights with this book and I made it free. Uh, I even said, it can be copied. Someone can take this, republish it under their own name. I really don't care. With only one condition, they will not sell this um, because I really want the idea to spread. I don't believe there is something called pure altruism <laughs> um, because that will be denying ourselves as, as, as a self. Mm -hmm. I, I did that for a greater cause but I also did that because it makes me feel good. It, it gives me the accomplishment that I did a little bit of my part. So that's the selfish part. So in that sense, I think they go hand in hand, even though philosophically we might think being selfish and altruism are contrary to each other. I explored in depth in my book, I don't like binary oppositions. I like complementary of uh, seemingly contrasting things, meaning hot and cold can be considered as two different things. That's easier to grasp in our analytical minds, but with a complementary yin and yang thinking, those are just different degrees of the same thing, temperature. Same mm -hmm. for tall, short. So I think in that sense, being there is a little bit selfish part of being altruistic. But Going back to your question, I think in sustainability space specifically, one message I would like to leave with is there's a concept or phenomenon called tragedy of commons, uh, very important in sustainability space. Uh, and I did this myself. My wife worked hard on me like, like 10 years ago to put things into the recycle bin. And I used to say, my efforts are this tiny. I'm not going to save the planet or I'm not going to do any significant impact there. But she relentlessly worked on it. And, and I was even making some sarcastic jokes. Uh, that is called tragedy of commons. You don't, you don't sacrifice from your comfort for the, for the greater good. I think that's my way of looking at it from an altruistic perspective. If I can put the greater goods benefit ahead of my certain personal benefits, that's the lens I would I would look at it.
And I, I like the fact that you mentioned at the beginning, this this need not be a dichotomy because it's not, and it would be a false dichotomy if we set it as such. It's not black and white. It's not good and bad. It's actually when you think about sustainable solutions and environmentally advanced, like uh, beneficial solutions, often these things is actually, it's someone looking at the at the problem or the challenge and making it easy for people to do the right thing. You know, it's that um, uh, the Leviathan, you know, like why, why do we have government and we're not going to get down the philosophic hole again, even though I really wish you lived closer because we'd hang out a lot, whether you liked it or not. <laughs> um, but it's about how, how do we make people make the right choice because it's easy. And there's a there's a quote that I love that I'm fairly sure neither of you will have heard before unless you like listening to a semi-heavy drum and bass. It's at the start of a song. It's like a drum and bass tune, like a dancehall classic. Um, by Chase and Status. And at the beginning of, beginning of the song, it says, I make hits, not the public. I tell the DJs what to play. Understand? And in a way, I was listening to the song again and on repeat. And I was like, oh my God. In the food industry, that's what we do. You know, the public doesn't make the choices. We give them the choices that they consume. We can give them good choices, good for the planet, or we can just give them the same of the stuff that they've always had. So it's up to us because we make the hits. We tell the DJs what to play. And I think that's a, it's like, a, it's a cool point, you know, to be able to say like, guys, we have a role to play. That's the realization I came to with my role at PepsiCo. The decisions I was making, even as, a, as, a, as an entry-level R&D engineer 20 years ago, when I was thinking of the implications of it mm. as an after fact, not that time, uh, that's massive. You have that flexibility to make those decisions. Like our organization, I, I, I've never worked anywhere else. I cannot speak any other uh, organization, but I'm sure it's, it's the same everywhere. Um, you are you are given those choices like you can make, but you mm. just need that why lens in the back of your mind, which guides you towards your true north or, or your guiding principles, whatever they are. Uh, then you can make those decisions accordingly. But you give public the options to pick yeah. from. And, yeah. and with that growing population, which is going to be 10 billion in a few decades, 11 billion, 25, 30% increase, which is going to require 50% more food. We need to make, we will need to make these decisions. Mm -hmm. um, it's not the public, they will make these decisions. Yeah, because they've got other jobs to do, you know. Yeah, like exactly. That's why I'm yeah, this is a this is an opportunity, this is a responsibility, this is an accountability, mm -hmm. which is which is good. When when I go through the book also, one other point that uh, struck me is anticipation. You are in love to anticipate, to to plan, to think before acting. Uh what's the balance in your mind on thinking and acting? Uh, every day, being aware that when you remember the quote for Einstein, that he said that if I have 20 days to do something, I will think during 90 days and I will work during one day. And I think you are close by to this logic because you love to think, you love to think, to share your thinking process before going to the solution that looks to be the one of the day. Uh, even if you tell us that in US, you learn not to be perfect but you like to think and you like to anticipate. Is it true or not, Khan? 
short answer is yes to you. I, first of all, I'm a thinker. Um, I, I like thinking more than I do things. It's faster, <laughs> <laughs> no cost. You don't, <laughs> it's, it's, it's much more efficient. No, it, somehow I like thinking. Um, studying philosophy and psychology, behavioral psychology a little bit on top of my, because that's a weak area for me, right? I, 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 was, in, I was trained as an engineer. I learned how much we usually rush into conclusions because it's so efficient for our brains. Uh, otherwise it would be so load, a massive load on the brain. That's how we survive actually. I'm not saying we should run against it, but we jump into conclusions very quickly. And I think in this space, as you said, it's an emerging space. Solutions are not there yet. The solutions are themselves are nascent. So it's very easy to jump into solutions or conclusions, that's where I think stepping back, taking a step back, thinking a little bit more thoroughly, pressure testing the idea and your thinking with a, with a more systems thinking can help a lot. So I would still advocate for that, provided that it doesn't hold us too much. Because mm -hmm. again, Progress is so critical, especially in this space. We are not progressing at the pace even close to the one we should be. So progress is, is, is important. But of course, just for the sake of progress, we shouldn't be doing uh, anything wrong as well. So thinking is very important. After I wrote that part, Thor, I met uh, with a very <laughs> senior executive in the food industry outside of PepsiCo. Uh, he read my book. He gave me one of the best uh, feedback he opened up some 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 more thinking for me in systems thinking, and that's why I use the term deliberately, not because it's a buzzword. This space is so complicated, and again, as engineers, we like thinking in very linear terms, cause and effect, simplistic problem solving approach. But this si system itself is so complicated. When you are trying to fix this part of the equation, you don't even realize that you are bringing more problems to the other part of the equation. So I think in that sense, like he coached me to, uh, I was mentioning consumer wants and needs and bringing R&D solutions based on consumer wants and needs. Sometimes they don't even know what they want or they need. That's why, like you said, anticipating and thinking a little bit more thoroughly um, can save us from a lot of mistakes and maybe ensure better progress. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I also think that sometimes it's about sometimes starting small. So, so starting small, and I'm, I'm meaning this in terms of like sometimes we're trying to meet the demands of a consumer base that, as you say, don't know what they want. But equally, by giving them options, the right options, it it gives a value proposition to something that maybe didn't exist before. And now there is a certain amount of consumer value placed on a sustainable solution, whether it has the blue or green tick or the frog on the front or whatever. Um, those things need to be validated. They need to be verified. And that needs to be automatic because we don't want a secondary administrative task to account for these things that we're saying. You know, like I think, Michelle, sometimes what you're saying, it resonates with me massively because I have the same problem of sometimes planning too much without doing. And you end up in this, it sounds paradoxical, but 
I think about it in terms of like consequential determinism. Now, they seem like two different theories of thought or two different like ideas in themselves. But we have a certain access. We have access to certain things that uh, can model things, model environments or systems deterministically. And we want to find out what the potential consequences of our actions are now in the future, kind of like predictive modeling. Um, and even if that is not perfect, because you can never know the future, you don't know what other variables may affect what you're trying to achieve, you can at least attempt it rather than jumping to that initial conclusion. And I think that's very important. I, I think we could do more of that. Yeah, very important indeed. Uh, and one thing I forgot to emphasize, Michelle, what, what, when I say pressure tested, I'm not talking about the solution ideas. I'm talking about have we defined the problem well? I'm, I'm, I'm more referring to pressure testing the definition of the problem. And that's the way I articulate it in the book, because we jump into conclusions in terms of solutions, but we also jump into conclusions in terms of, is this the problem to solve? Or is there a, is there a different underlying problem that I need to get to the bottom of the things and maybe the crux of the problem that I need to address Maybe this is just a symptom that I'm addressing with this solution. That's where I would put majority of probably 80% of my focus and then 20% I would spend on solutions. Solutions, will they work or not? We won't know. There is no way we can know. But I think we have better chances to know with more certainty what the problem is. Problem and in this domain of packaging, I think that one way that I'm delighted too, with my family, we were in South Africa last week, and I was impressed uh, thinking about this call about packaging, because uh, we think a lot about recycling, packaging, and way of working, but when you ask for food in this bush, the guy gave me a, a leaf of banana, and I got my chicken nuggets, uh, or chicken fried chicken, it's not a nugget, fried chicken, in these banana leaves, which has no issue because the guy told me when you are done, you just throw the leaves on the floor and it will go ahead. So I think that's that's something I need to share with Ken because in terms of packaging, that's fabulous. The guy just <laughs> burned a little bit some some wood, uh, killed the, the chicken and ate immediately. And we are thinking about a number of stuff. And my threat as an old guy of 64 years old is that we want to have a global solution for anything of packaging. And the more I think about packaging, the more I think about tailor-made packaging, but not only by product, but by country, by logic. And as you said, the packaging of today will not be the one of tomorrow morning. So you need first to, to build your brain to be able to deliver on demand for the next year or the year after, because what you do today might not be what we will do in two years or three years time. What is your viewpoint on that? This is really hilarious, Michel. Uh, when was this? You said last week? Yeah, I was in South Africa, in Swaziland, exactly. Okay. Oh, wait, wait, wait. So, Michel, we still haven't had the introduction properly. Do you know that I grew up in Swaziland? I was not aware, Trevor. Ah, I didn't know. Completely different podcast, but for everyone oh. listening right now, I grew up in Swaziland and Michelle oh. just went there on holiday. <laughs> wow. Impressive. I didn't know that. Um, no, impressive to see also, uh, and I'm done with that, the joy of the people. Because when they deliver me the food, 
they were so happy. So we spoke together. He asked me, did you have Euro? Can I see your Euros? We eat together. This friendship helped a lot because my grandmother told me smiling is better than a steak, is better than meat. When you smile and eat, it's, it's good for your health, you know? And some guys in, 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 in physiology think about that. So I was thinking I would share this logic of packaging, just the banana leaves and my chicken. <laughs> Yeah, I'm 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 still uh, pausing a little bit because after this, please check out the article we published last night ah. <laughs> um, with Rene Lammers. We it's titled "Formula One Meets Food Science: Striking Similarities Between Two Seemingly Disparate Fields." Our objective was to, in a fun way draw some attention to food industry and attract talent because we need top talent in this industry. I'm, I'm tired of losing all cream, all the cream talent to technology companies. Um, I'm not against chat GPT. It's my, <laughs> one of my closest friends uh, <laughs> keep, keeps complaining about it, but we need to stop that flux of talent going to all the technology companies and get a little bit of that in the food industry because great, Problems can only be solved by the great talent. That's why with Rene Lammers, he's actually our chief science officer. Uh, we both are Formula One enthusiasts. So we were thinking, let's in a fun way, uh, attract some talent to the space. We spoke about that banana leaf idea in that article. That's why I'm asking. I, I might have uh, felt uh, that, that, that you were <laughs> thinking about this call. And exactly the same example. Uh, it was a very tiny mention, two sentence there. We said, we can draw inspiration from uh, hundreds of years of cultures, like the civilizations, that, they, that, that the solutions are already there. And specifically, I mentioned banana leaves for sustainable packaging solutions. It's, it's, <laughs> it's hilarious. Uh, similarly, there are, there are like fermentation, uh, pres preservation methods, making yogurt, uh, and even I mentioned in the book that actually science has been catching up with our ancestors have been doing for thousands of years. We are just defining them now with numbers and equations and mm -hmm. probably getting ahead of it now. Uh, so I fully agree with you. I think there is a lot of inspiration we can draw from, learn from the, the underlying principles in that solutions that our grandmothers used to. Uh, employ to preserve food, uh, be it packaging or or other preservation methods. It's so amazing that I uh, I don't know much. That's a, that's an area I'm reading a lot. Um, and in a LinkedIn post, I remember I asked that question and I collected the uh, the information I received, put them in a deck and shared back. And it was it was inspirational. I'll share that one as well. Uh, all the way from like I, I think for, for the guy that will listen to your presentation, your our discussion today, be good that you could share with Trevor this article detail so that they can mm -hmm. they can have a look because it will be published in a couple of weeks. So for sure, the article mm -hmm. will be published. But you see, yeah. life is like that. Uh, second example that was in uh, in Durban, uh, north of South Africa, and uh, I took the the. I was so happy to walk in the in the city and eat some pineapple with uh, with some pepper. So they just grilled mm -hmm. the pineapple, add some pepper, and gave me this one. 
just in a kind of, I say, what's that about? Oh, that's just, you know, a flat staff. We use that for the meat, but now we use that to deliver you. We, we avoid to use paper. So they gave me a kind of uh, uh, wheat uh, leaves, you know, uh, mm -hmm. that they, they prepare normally for, for meat and they deliver that with a banana. And I was so struck, this guy in a bush that proposed me that for less than half a dollar, think about sustainability, you know? And you think that this country is not thinking about, but they think even the, the people there. So the beauty is also to, to link that back between so-called developed country mm -hmm. and the country that are there, but there, a lot of you said food for thought together. Mm -hmm. Absolutely, you know, absolutely. What one of the one of the most striking things for me is also, and this is this is actually going to come back to something that I wrote down before this conversation that I wanted to to bring up. Um, but it, it's initially when we said uh, sustainability, like let, we're talking maybe five years ago, and this becomes like a big topic. Like now people are talking about the environmental impact of of the food system, and uh, now with seeing this as a as a new uh, IP solution or something, we can actually gain more revenue from it doesn't need to be more expensive doing something sustainably doesn't need to be more expensive it it can be more uh, measured a more measured approach you can know your impact they're not uh, correlated they're not directly correlated to say that a sustainable solution must be more expensive for a consumer than an industrialized method now the question at the end of all of these things because obviously that's uh, seems to be my style this evening is um done do you feel like your job is undoing what's already been done from an industrialized standpoint so industrialization gave us certain um elements of our current food system do you find that some parts of what you're doing is undoing these things that we now know to be ills i don't know if i would call it undoing and Sometimes I hide behind this fact that English is not my first language. Uh, oh, I'm not a perfect English uh, speaker, but I think I would pick a different word than undoing. Maybe I would say connecting the dots a little bit in a different way, maybe uh, mm -hmm. in, in, in more relevant way to the to the current age or the realities, because that's what I was also thinking when I was listening to uh, Michelle a couple of minutes ago. Isn't innovation at the end of the day connecting the dots in a different way? You're, you're not creating something out of thin air. Um, you're just making different connections. That's why uh, when you go across fields mm -hmm. or when you make analogies, that's where again the magic happens that banana uh, leaf example um so probably industrialization yes connected the dots in certain ways now we need to look at how we connected them and probably make some tweaks because the environment changed mm -hmm. it would be so naive to expect that it should stay that way while everything else changed i think that's the way I would put it, probably. Um, so I, I I specifically said the question in a kind of pointed way by saying undoing what's already been done. Um, but I fully, I think your answer is absolutely spot on. Um, I also wonder that 
this this relates kind of to to Michelle's question from before as well is that innovation in a way is kind of the traveling salesman problem from maths the traveling salesman problem of uh, a way around a certain situation but understanding the latent relationships between each of those hops that other people may not connect to and sometimes that comes from uh you know like uh, disparate pieces of information or different realms of knowledge so different domains of expertise coming together to say oh well you guys did something in uh subatomic particle analysis that could be super useful for the food industry you know yes. it's about figuring out the the best way around or a new way around that maybe has less impact so i think in that sense again not because it's a buzzword but that systems thinking approach is really crucial uh that's what i've learned a little bit recently reading in that space and and and, and listening to my mentors uh both to figure out these maybe fostering reapplication of these developments across different fields, uh, not in a siloed way, but, but, but holistically, but also when we are defining the problem. Because, again, we might be thinking we are solving part of the problem. We need to make sure that we are not messing up with the other part of it. That's mm -hmm. why it requires a very holistic view. Um, which is easy, but also not that easy uh, in, in this complex world because we are growing ourselves in a much more specialized way. We are being educated in a specialized way. Uh, I think having a little bit more generalist approach there can also help. Mm -hmm. and I, I think that's that the that. big issue of the, the two-day work because in the past, the guys were able to know everything uh, on, uh, on something. And now that's the reverse. We are really mm -hmm. focused. And um, for sustainability, especially, uh, at least on what I am doing uh, in my job, you need to have a kind of helicopter vision. Mm -hmm. Because as you said, when you touch one point, you can influence another point. So you should not be selfish. It's not because your, your, your mass balance is okay in this uh, domain B, B1 that it would be okay for the world. Mm -hmm. So you need, to, you need to have an holistic approach. You should not be selfish. Uh, and, and you should think for the other one. So I love your idea at the beginning that your activity are also linked to philosophy and way of thinking, because uh, if the people are, have not the right mindset, they cannot progress in this domain. Don't you? Can? And even science itself, I think I probably I will need to paraphrase. I wish I, I memorized it. But in, in, in the words of Carl Sagan, um, science is not perfect but it's the best tool we have. Mm -hmm. uh, it can be, it can be very dangerous in certain hands, uh, but it's not the fault of science. So we should not do away with science and scientific method, but bringing that philosophical view into how to make use of science is so crucial. Uh, I haven't seen the movie yet, but the, the popular movie nowadays. Yeah. Uh, that's, I think that's, uh that also tells something in that in the, along those lines mm -hmm. yeah and, and for the young flavorists that are will listen to this uh podcast because they are in love uh, i got friend in mexico in brazil or even in china that listen to this podcast what kind of crucial message you want to to stress following the the today discussion is there any message you want to share to the young generation because they are working every day 
how could they how could they maneuver to do their job and have a kind of uh, forward thinking in in sustainability and in way of working? What is your view? Yeah, I can tell a lot of things, but I also <laughs> learned that I need to say only one thing. <laughs> Uh, otherwise, I'm going to dilute my message there. And, and that will be continuous learning. Because curiosity and continuous learning is, is those two just create such a virtuous cycle that feeds upon itself. Uh, the more curious you are, the more you learn. The more you learn, you realize how much you don't know. And then you want to know more and it just, it just keeps going. And I think in an environment changing this fast and in a life that we are trying to make sense of ourselves and our universe, continuous learning. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. I wanted to ask you about um, the division of labor with regards to the food industry and kind of um, relaying what Michelle said before about the education industry as well in that, as um, people in education, you get put on a kind of conveyor belt. You learn about things. They say, you need to learn this, 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 and this. And something that, that you said previously, Khan, is that you're thinking with two different hats. So you use one hat, which is perhaps philosophically based, and another one that's maybe more uh, engineering. In reality, you never really take one hat off because it is you and it is your perspectives. You now just have two hats. So you become a, a person with a multidisciplinary viewpoint. And this is, again, another little rattle on, and eventually there will come a question. But the question is, what have you learned from football? <laughs> what, have <you> le <laughs> what have you learned from football about the fact that every single member on a team has a different job, to, a different role to fulfill in order to achieve a unified end goal. Oh my God, where am I coming from? <laughs> uh, no, you know what? This is this is a wonderful question. I'm I'm gonna answer in a fun way. Cool. Um, in this, and I apologize from all my teammates. I'm gonna I'm gonna throw them under the bus here. But last two seasons, we did very bad. <laughs> we, especially last season, we didn't win single game. Uh, Are you talking PepsiCo or football? No, no, no. In my outdoor league team, <laughs> I'm, I'm, uh, I'm a football know. team. Uh, <laughs> over 40 league uh, in North Texas. And I, I I wear my watch in the games. So in one of the games, uh, and I play center midfield, so I run a lot. Um, I looked at my watch and, and I, I realized that I ran six miles in 90 minutes. And I came home. I looked at how much Ronaldo ran uh, in a typical game. And Cristiano Ronaldo, of course, he's, he's a better so uh, player than I am. Uh, he, he he runs smart. He's not running like chick headless chicken like me. But um, <laughs> he ran five, five point some miles in 2018 Russia World Cup. There I made my decision and I said goodbye to my friends uh, in that team. And I moved to the uh, team uh, uh, who won the title. Uh, <laughs> you jump ship because they were making you exercise too much i said you know what the individual effort doesn't mean anything here like i i might be running more than ronaldo did but this is a team sport 
Um, when I pass the ball, I need to get it back. Uh, <laughs> we need to do these one-twos. Or when I get the ball, you know, on the flanks, you need to make those runs. Uh, again, I, I, I know I sound like I'm throwing my friends under the bus. I, I do it a little bit deliberately because I, I'm, I still feel that sweat and how much I tired uh, I was tired after that game. Um, but yeah, no, so I'm I'm having much more fun this season with my new team. Uh, <laughs> Even though we, we didn't start it, but we played a couple of scrimmage games and uh, I'm feeling much better. So I'm not sure that's exactly the answer I was expecting, but it's better than the one I was expecting. But <laughs> do you know when, <laughs> when we were talking about this and we're all working for different companies, which is actually great because we have different standpoints, different perspectives, but everyone has their role to play and not everyone can be the captain. Not everyone can be the goalkeeper. Not everyone can be center midfield. Everyone has a role to play and it's about determining what impact you can have within your role and within a team to, to help accomplish a unified vision. And I think that's a, that's a very important thing for uh, listeners of the podcast to have a think about where they fit into the food system as a whole and what impact people can have themselves that, like you said, uh, you recycling because your wife told you to doesn't feel like it has an impact, but it's the dilemma or the the, like or the collective that makes the impact and everyone has to pull their weight. Otherwise, it doesn't make sense for anyone. That's the collective for, for, for the greater good. But also, let me give you a quick boring answer to your to your original question <laughs> uh, on the division of labor. Uh, Probably it goes more back, but the division of labor, to my knowledge, it's Adam Smith's idea uh, to, 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 to make the processes more efficient, that pin example he talks about. Mm. Uh, so you, you specialize people on certain steps of a process. So the overall production, the output is, is, is higher. So that's Adam Smith's capitalist perspective in the wealth of nations. Uh, on the opposite, Karl Marx says, when you do this, you take the, the overall purpose of why the worker does what he or she does out of their hands. So they become so specialized, but now they don't realize how their work adds value in the overall process. As someone who doesn't like binary views, I like to take both. And I'm going to tie it to this. Indra Nui, our uh, former CEO, always said, you need to be known for one skill, at least, your hip pocket skill. When people say Trevor, they need to say, oh, are we talking about strategic framing? Trevor is the best. So let's, <laughs> let's give this job to him. You need to have a hip pocket uh, skill. I want to add, we also need to understand how everyone's effort contribute to that unified vision in your own words. We need both. One of them is not going to cut it. One is going to leave you without sense of purpose. The other one, you have a purpose, but you're not adding significant value. Because you don't see how your individual value is contributing. So when you combine both uh, in a complementary way, 
I think that's the way I would look at it. And and again, that that football as example uh, is a good one. Um, there's a unified vision there, a goal. Everyone is clear about it. But then everyone needs to their own bit to serve against that unified vision. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, exactly. And I think that the that in the current framework, especially in terms of process flow optimization and understanding that we're trying to like make things more efficient, small batch processing through t- the Toyota vision and the Toyota plan, I think made a lot of a lot more sense because we we struggled, I guess, with the levels of abstraction. You know, so if you you are building the the pin in a in a watch and you only you're the best pin maker of everything. Um, and then there's a there's a strap maker and then there's a face maker and a, there's someone who makes the numbers. No one can now make a watch. Not one yes. person can make a watch. So now you need these things, but you need to know how your impact is affecting the whole. And this to me comes down to partly that that validation, the verification. And then the most important thing to me is demonstration. And when you're thinking about when I'm trying to think about innovation, you need to be able to demonstrate to someone why this is a good solution or a better solution than the past. And kind of going back to something that Michelle was mentioning before, even, do you know, when we were talking about that 80-20 and how you split it and something is maybe not perfect, but to get to the the 20% of perfection, it's going to cost you 80%. To get to 80% of a goal, it's going to cost you 20%. If you think about it in terms of just using distillation, as a means of isolating a certain flavor molecule in a complex mixture, sometimes the cost in terms of energy input to get to 100% is so much more than uh, just getting to 80% purity. And sometimes the 80% purity is maybe good enough. And it kind of goes full circle to understanding like, uh, we have these banana leaves, why don't we just use the banana leaves? Instead of saying, well, we use cling film because that's what we've always done. Well, actually, it's not technically true. We use banana leaves first. <laughs> it's not, yeah, yeah. That's why I think you need both specialization and that unified view or vision uh, to complement to each other. Um, David Epstein, the book Range is wonderful. Uh, he also has a TED talk there. And I think in the context of sustainability, Vaclav Smil, he has some numbers he mentions that helps you to understand the sustainability problem in its entirety, but also in individual buckets are, are really good examples. Also, Bill Gates, how to how to prevent a climate disaster, also drawing a lot from Vaclav Simil's book. Uh, that holistic view, as well as a little bit more specialized perspective, they, they do a great job. Uh, just a few examples in terms of how to uh, bring those two in a complementing way. But I think yeah. to your point earlier, the industrialization moved us too much into specialization a little bit in terms of individual skills and skill sets. Now, probably the pendulum needs to move a little bit more towards generalist for that holistic view. Uh, we become too specialized, in my opinion. Or, or only, or only specialized. Only, exactly. And then yeah. you end up in your... I guess your echo chamber, and uh, that's obviously a, not necessarily an, a, an only good thing. You know, like if if I want to find out how to, uh, I don't know, like uh, uh, impact bosons in a in at CERN, 
or whatever in that massive thing it's not going to do me very good talking to ronaldo yeah because he doesn't have any of those expertise he might give me some other insights but you need to have some specialization and the value in talking to people of the similar expertise means that you can make those incremental advances within a in a small sphere of knowledge um and this gets me to what i was mentioning at the beginning uh, which is a question, how do you know, and I'm going to answer it, so it's more of a rhetorical thing. Um, how do you know the difference between uh, knowledge and wisdom? And this uh, famous rugby player once said in an interview, he said, well, um, knowledge is knowing that tomato is a fruit, but wisdom is knowing not to put it in a fruit salad. And <laughs> I think oh, yeah. <laughs> that's... That's like an interesting way, but it's a good way to use humor of kind of getting people to think a bit more about you know, what is knowledge and what is wisdom. <laughs> so in your yeah. perspectives, what is knowledge and what is wisdom? I like that tomato or tomato <laughs> example um, because knowledge is like philosophy means wisdom of like love of wisdom so you you learn things just for the sake of knowing them that's 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 also there's a little bit wisdom there as well but in our world especially in science engineering and technology knowing is one thing implementing your knowledge and bringing some solutions or or better uh, models to life better designs to life is another thing. I think that's where in our science and engineering world, I think that's what wisdom uh, means to me, how you apply your knowledge. Again, philosophically, we can talk about very different definitions of wisdom, but I think uh, I would like to stop there and and and, and complement that tomato uh, example. <laughs> because otherwise it all sits here, knowledge and 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 it's not it's not doing its job for the greater uh, good or or, or benefit uh, i think it's the, the context the addition of context and that's to me the thing is like wisdom is is knowing why is that important information to know you know so knowing that it's a fruit awesome knowing not to put it in a fruit salad it's pretty awesome as well yeah i was more on the like just for the sake of knowing it I was more on that side, but I think now I'm I'm more going towards that. How do you use that knowledge uh, again in making sense of yourself, the universe, and and how you go about your life and how you how you bring value and fun uh, and joy to this life and uh, to the to the people and other uh, species around you. Um, Michelle, would you, do you have any any? More questions? No, no. My, my thinking process was uh, trying to think about packaging because that was also mm. one point of recycling packaging. And I, I was willing to be a little bit um, at the limit. And I think, uh, is there really a question of packaging or should we forget the packaging for the future? Because, you know, when I was a young boy, I was going to collect my milk uh in in a firm and i brought my uh no, no it was a kind of bucket in metallic bucket and that we purchased once and generation after generation we use the same one for the milk same for the yogurt and now we go back to the yogurt so 
what is your vision? If you if you think that we are in 2300 now, what would be the ideal packaging? What, what would be the way of eating and drinking of humanity? Did you have any thought about that? That that that, that always reminds me. Uh, my wife always, uh, she always li likes to come up with those pills. Uh, mm -hmm. So we will not have to cook like red pills for meat, green pills for <laughs> vegetables, uh, yellow ones for carbohydrates. That would have been a wonderful world <laughs> to feed that 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 population. No, I'm just kidding. Food is magical. Uh, and 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 in that presentation, Trevor, I I, I remember we talked about it. Uh, food is essential. We need it for our to sustain our lives. It's a human right, but food is also magical. We cannot deny that 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 aspect of it. Um, and I mentioned when I when I feel a little bit homesick, I go to the pantry, open up a uh, open up the lid of it, uh, uh, black olive jars. I smell it. Close my eyes. Right there, I'm by the Mediterranean coast uh, in, in Turkey. Uh, that's magical. So I would never do without that part of food. That's that's uh, that's important. Short answer is I really don't know. I I I wish I had a uh, I had a vision. I'm I'm struggling a lot because because things are changing so fast. It's at an unbelievably uh, fast pace. One thing I know, though, is it's very it's it sounds a little bit aspirational to go back to the way we used to do these things. When you think about how to feed eleven billion people uh, by mm -hmm. two thousand one hundred, we will need packaging because packaging is not only about also uh, protecting our product. It's a, it's a communication tool. It's your first interaction with the food. Uh, we need shelf life uh, of these of these products. Um, packaging will be there. I think the key question will be how to come up with packaging solutions that are circular and 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 not creating a little problem. I think that's the that's the biggest problem uh, we have right now. But just like the fertilizers or 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 other advancements in food technology, it's very difficult to consider this industry without those technological advancements. Um, again, a, a statistic I remember from Wackler Simmel's book: if we don't use any fertilizers today, we cannot feed three billion people. Uh, so almost half of the population. That's why we need to look at these problems in a in a holistic way, and 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 how to solve them, uh, while we are not creating problems on the other parts of the equation. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because the I guess the point of it is, we don't live in the world of the eighteen hundreds. Like we we have different problems. We have new problems to what they had then, and some of those problems for sure, have been caused by um, the framework and the situation we built ourselves. But equally, at the end of the day, the problems that they faced are different to the problems that we have now. And sometimes we have become, I guess, the victims of our own success, so much so that the population has exploded. In the past, people didn't have enough food, people weren't as healthy, people um, you know, didn't have as many opportunities as we have now. And we see this as a sign of progress, but it doesn't change the fact that we are 
we are facing problems, whether they're of our own making or not, they are different to what our predecessors faced. Very different. Uh, it reminded me Yuval Harari's uh, argument in, in probably in Sapiens or in Homo Deus, I don't remember right now. If you put a person to sleep in year 1000 yeah. and wake him up in 1500, it wouldn't take him much to adapt, not much yeah. of a difference. But if you put him in sleep in 1500 and wake him up in the year 2000, uh, that would be <laughs> a massive change. And it took our ancestors to get the 1 billion population, probably 200,000 years yeah. uh, by 1800. And it took our grand, 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 grandparents mere 200 years to add seven billion to that one billion, it's it's a hockey stick. It's it's, mm -hmm. a, it's an unbelievable graph. That's why I'm really struggling to visualizing a future uh, two hundred years from from now. And it, it, we're talking about our grandparents again. It only took them seven and a half years to learn how to use a mobile phone. Yeah, yeah there you so go. Pretty yeah. good, yeah? <laughs> commendable. <laughs> So I think um, that adaptability is the key there, I, I, uh, Michelle, to your questions. Just, just having that, being open to if things are changing, I need to be evolving, I need to be adapting, and it's just constant adaptation. That's the best I can think of, honestly. Mm -hmm. Right. And I relay what you said at the beginning is also philosophy and psychology. Because uh, the way to protect the, the future of the young generation is to be less and less selfish to accept to do effort. That means that you will not have something easy to eat or easy to find. Even if you can deliver the food and the drink everywhere, you need also to train your kids that they will have to redo effort because most of the generation and my generation, we were just, we can get everything cheap, fast and easy. And the more we go, the more we need to, uh, to mature all this young generation that they will have to do an effort to hit. They will have to do an effort, as you said, to segregate the waste. They will have to do this effort. And it's not, it's not painful. It's, it's alive. They have to do that. Mm -hmm. As in some tribes, they need to take time to go and grab the water from the river. They spend mm -hmm. four hours to get their water. So maybe we not spend four hours to get our bottle of something. But it might be illogical to have so many supermarkets in a single country, in a mm -hmm. single city. So maybe regroup, reshare re and, uh, and share products. So I think that if, if we can move also with this kind of logic of philosophy for the young generation, thinking about not being selfish, work together, it would be beneficial for sustainability also. What did you think, Anne? I think very short. I think we need to do a little bit more of sharing than owning. I think we are too much into owning stuff. Yeah, uh, and and you, we are already seeing a lot of mega trends that, especially with millennials and Generation Z, yeah, they are they are they are they value experiencing more than owning. And I think uh, I like that from a sustainability lens as well. Uh, the more we own, the more problems we create. So maybe maybe that's another lens to think about. Oh wow. Oh, that's a wow. fabulous word for the for the end, also, uh, Trevor. Yeah, I agree. And even 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 <laughs> soccer, uh, uh, and I, I I'm not going to hesitate mention it. You can cut this part if you want, uh, Trevor. <laughs> I, I I I bought used cleats mm -hmm. um, from Amazon. 
for turf because I don't play so much on turf, uh, turf cleats. And and I said, no, rather than buying a new one, like, like I'm going to, I'm going to buy a used one uh, to minimize my impact. And it still does the job. Uh, so like we said, Michelle, maybe we need to do a little bit more of that sharing than, than, than owning stuff. Right. Mm-hmm. So, do you know, when you talk about like a secondhand or used, I've seen 100%, I've seen my generation and also definitely younger, um, younger people buying jeans that 100% look like they've been worn for about 100 years, but they pay a premium for these jeans. So actually, maybe just buying them off someone who's already worn them for 50 years, that can be a mega trend. (laughs) It's all about framing matters, right? How you frame things is is important. But again, again, it's it's again of mindset shift, and uh, we need to be part of this mindset shift. That means that we need to be able to say to somebody, "Wake up! What you are doing Mm -hmm. there? What what is the benefit? Uh, Are you sure you are right?" So, I think we need to be able to voice because in the past we were shy, but the the more I go, the more I I try to open my mouth to say with a polite way, like the British, you know, but try also <laughs> to inform people, you know, not yeah. only to be in a kind of, uh, oh my God, I don't want to pollute the, the brain of others. Mm-hmm. Yeah, sometimes we need to speak from experience. And as you said, right at the beginning, be bold, mm-hmm. be bold. And it it's actually, to me, it seems bold because it's something new and novel, but it's not really bold. You know, like if you're talking to a doctor, he's going to tell you what he feels but he doesn't know anything about food science. Yeah. Even though he probably should know a bit more, but that's the point. Like we, we have the authority in our small domain specific expertise to be bold with what we know and show people that there is something more to be thinking about and the consequences of the choices and the decisions we make. Um, I think we may have to shuffle this around a bit in terms of the, the recording, but uh, because I, I really like the idea of what Michelle said. Let's just end with, wow. <laughs> <laughs> but Khan, thank you so, so much for this evening. Honestly, I don't think you'll realize how valuable it is to both myself and Michelle, for sure, but uh, definitely to me and countless other people that we don't even know will listen to this. So thank you so much for your time. Um, and I hope you enjoyed it. Well, I definitely enjoyed it. And and and. You don't know how much valuable it's to me as well, and 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 exchanging these ideas and and sharing this passion, that energy, uh, to me is much more important than even sharing knowledge, uh, because without passion and enthusiasm, nothing happens. We we are moved by our emotions. We think we use logic, but not necessarily. Uh, we use logic and knowledge, uh, but not not to move and 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 make things happen so this is that sharing that energy which i can clearly feel even though we are thousands of miles apart i can feeling that that shared passion is is invaluable to me so thank you very much uh, once again i i'm i was honored and i enjoyed and i'm leaving even more passionate to do more in this space awesome thanks guys have a good evening Thank you. Thank Bye-bye. you so much. Take Bye. care. Bye-bye. This has been a deep dive into the fascinating world of flavors with BSF Flavor Talks.
I hope that you've seen there's much more behind flavours. It is hard to acquire that right level of experience in order to create the perfect taste. If you've worked up an appetite for flavour signs, stay tuned for more episodes and help support our podcast by sharing it with others on social media or leave us a review.